turn my mic on. All right, praise the Lord. So glad you're here. Appreciate each and every one of you and all you're doing for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 90, scripture I read to you earlier at the beginning of the session this morning. It's been on my heart for several days now, so I believe it's the leading of the Lord to deal with it. Psalm 90, verse 16, let thy work appear under thy servants and thy glory under their children. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. The Amplified Bible says, let your work, the signs of your power, be revealed to us, your servants, and your glorious majesty to their children. Everybody say, signs of your power. Look at somebody and say, I want to see more signs of his power. How many of you in here this morning would like to see more signs of his power in your own ministry? I certainly would, praise God. The message translation says, let your servants see what you're best at. Let your servants see what you're best at. And what is God best at? He's best at confirming his word with signs following. Mark the 16th chapter, turn there with me. You're all familiar with it, but let's read it again. Mark the 16th chapter. And verse 20 says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Notice that the very end of that verse, the word amen. That means so be it. So, let's say it this way. I go preaching everywhere. The Lord working with me. Confirming His word with signs following. So be it. Let's say it again. I go preaching everywhere. The Lord working with me. Confirming His word with signs following. So be it. Let's thank God in advance for it. Amen. So be it. Hallelujah. That's what God is best at. The message translation says, validating the message with indisputable evidence. Validating the message with indisputable evidence. The word indisputable implies not open for question incontestable, impossible to doubt, sure proof. That's what God wants happening in all of our ministries, regardless of whether you're a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, whatever your calling is. God wants to confirm his word with signs following. Jesus said that our assignment is to not only preach and teach, but heal. Can you say amen? That's what he did in the earth in his earthly ministry. That's what we are to do, preach, teach, and heal. Not just preach, not just teach, but included in that commission is to heal. And once again, validating the message with indisputable evidence. And let me give you the definition again for indisputable. Not open for question. 
When's the last time you had indisputable evidence that was not open for question? Amen. You know, when I first started out, I experienced that from day one. I didn't know any better than just believe what God said. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I'd been running from God for so long. When I finally surrendered my life to Him, then I didn't want to miss out on anything. I remember the first time I had the opportunity to sit in Oral Roberts' office and uh, had just met him. And I was saying to him, Brother Roberts, I feel like I've been robbed. He said, what do you say that for? I said, I didn't get to be in your tent crusades. My wife did when she was a little girl. Her mom and dad would take her to those tents, meetings, and she was just a baby and laying on a quilt on a sawdust floor under the big tent. And of course, she was so young, she probably don't remember anything about those meetings, but she was in them. I would have loved to have been in them, even as a baby, <laughs> And wasn't even aware of what's going on, but at least I could have said, I was there. Yeah. And uh, I felt like, you know, because my mom and dad, you know, they didn't know much about Oral Roberts. Uh, we attended a little Baptist church down at the end of our street. And uh, dad's dad was a Baptist. Uh, my mother, uh, my grandmother, rather, uh, she, she liked to go to the black church down at the end of our road. She said, they're more lively down there. So the first church I ever went to in my life, my grandmother took me and it was a black church. And she was right. They were lively. But Grandpa, he went to the Baptist church a few miles away. Calvary Baptist. In fact, uh, if my grandpa missed a Sunday on Monday morning, first thing Monday morning, there was a deacon knocking on the door, ready to receive his offering. <laughs> Since he wasn't in church to bring it, they came and got it, you know. I wonder what would happen if we did that today. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, uh, I went to the, the little black church down on the end of, the, uh, end of our road. Most of the people on our road were black families. There were just a few white families, but we all grew up together. We all loved one another. Uh, my grandfather, he, he farmed and, and he made sure that he planted enough crops for the black families that didn't have crops. And they were welcome to come and gather it up and take it back and sometimes they'd prepare it and we'd go eat with them. You know, I didn't know anything about racism when I was a kid. I just thought them black boys I was playing with had been in the sun longer than me. <laughs> had a better tan than I did, you know. But... Uh, even though Mississippi was where I was born and it was one of the most racist states in the Union, uh, I wasn't grown up racist. I, I wasn't uh, taught that. And, uh, but anyway, when I sat in front of Oral Roberts and said to him, I feel like I've been robbed because I didn't get to be in your tent meetings. I didn't get to be in those great healing meetings. And he said, well, you know, we've captured all that on film we have it down in our archives. Anytime you'd like to go down and see some of those meetings, I'd be happy to assign somebody to go down with you and show them to you. I said, when? He said, well, whenever you want to. I said, how about right now? <laughs> so I went down there and they assigned somebody from a student that came down and took those 16 millimeter films and started showing me some of those crusades. And I cried all the way through them. 
I said, play another one. And they showed another one. And I cried all the way through it. I just was overwhelmed by the power of God on display. The miracles, the healings, the, the undisputable evidence, indisputable evidence rather. And uh, it was without question that these people were genuinely healed. And then, of course, later when I accepted the call of God, I began to learn that praying for the sick was a part of that calling. And I began to lay hands on people right there in the early days and when I was just a few months old in the Lord. And people would get healed. People would get set free. Drug addicts were coming to our house to get set free from their addictions. And uh, we saw marvelous things in our living room. And then, of course, when I got... Uh, uh, began to get invitations to come and teach and preach. I just thought that laying hands on the sick was all part of the service. I don't think I ever had a service in those early days that I didn't pray for the sick after I got through teaching or preaching. But you know, over a period of time, you get time conscious. You know, when I started doing television, I got television conscious. You know, we had to go a certain length and there. They're counting down on the clock, you know, and all that. And next thing you know, you don't pray for the sick anymore. Not that I didn't want to, not that I didn't believe in it, but you just, you just kind of get caught up in, the, in the, uh, the, the, the things that are necessary, you know, to do a television program or a church service or something. And particularly today when there's multiple services where you got a clock, you got to get them out of here, got to get the other group in, you know, there's hardly time for God to move. And I'm sure he wants to in both services. Amen. Both services. I don't think he's a second service individual. <laughs> he wants to move in both services. You know, I've been in some services and churches where I had four services on Sunday morning to do. Four services. They came and got me at six in the morning and uh, didn't bring me back to the hotel till, you know, one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And they were all time regimented. You know, when they got through with all the preliminaries and everything, you got 25 minutes, Brother Jerry. And then the next service, you got 20 minutes. And then the next service, uh, 30 minutes. And then the next service, we can go as long as you want except you got to be done in 45 minutes. You know. There was always some kind of stipulation. And a lot of times, you know, there wasn't time to flow with the Holy Spirit. And I'd walk away grieved. I know many of you have as well. Amen. But our assignment still is to preach, teach, and heal. How many people you suppose come to your churches every Sunday needing healing? Amen. You never know what that person's going through that's sitting next to you unless they tell you. You wouldn't know. You know, you wouldn't know by looking at them. In some cases, you might, if they're weak and frail, you might pick up something, you know, that, hey, this person needs healing. But a lot of times, you can't tell. They're smiling like you. They're saying amen like you. And you don't know what's really troubling them deep down on the inside. They, 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 may be, they may have come to church that morning in faith, you know, just determined that they were not going to allow the devil 
to, to rob them of being in that atmosphere. So we never know. But notice it says, let your servants see what you're best at. God is best at confirming his word with signs following. Can you say amen to that? So once again, the message translation said, validating the message with indisputable evidence, not open for question, incontestable, impossible to doubt, and sure proof. This is how Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, described what Jesus did, not only during his earthly ministry, but even after he was raised from the dead, just before he ascended to his father. Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Infallible proofs. Say that with me. Infallible proofs. The Amplified Bible says, convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidences. So notice, in the ministry of Jesus, there was infallible proofs. There was indisputable evidence that people were being set free, people were being delivered, people were being healed. I remember a time when... Uh, I was just really young in the Lord and I was teaching the young people at the church that Carolyn grew up in and I began attending. I was teaching the young people about soul winning. I'd had the privilege of being taught by one of the greatest soul winners I'd ever known in my life, Dave Malkin, who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago, but uh, he and I maintained our friendship all those years and he was the first person who taught me to win people to Christ on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And uh, Brother Copeland had come to preach at Life Tabernacle there in Shreveport. And after the service, he told me, he said, the Lord told me to send you to California to meet a man by the name of Dave Malkin. And uh, he said, I'm to pay your way. And the Lord told me to tell you to stay until you felt like you've learned all Dave knows. <laughs> and then you can come home, but I'm going to pay you way to go. And so I went out there, and I think I stayed a couple of weeks with Dave Malkin. And this was back in 1969, 1970. The hippie movement was still on strong, and the drug culture was, was booming, you know, uh, with, among young people. And when I got out to Los Angeles, and he met me at the airport and took me out to uh, Canoga Park where he lived. And then we left with uh, uh, about 113 young people that he led to the Lord personally, got them delivered from drugs. And this whole group went to Pismo Beach. And at that time, there was 140 something thousand hippies on the beach having a drug party and dune buggy races. And... Uh, so when I got out there and looked at all these people, now I didn't look anything like them. I came out of a paint and body shop. I had short hair. I had on Levi's, a T-shirt, 
you know, I think I may have had some casual shoes on. And everywhere I looked was long hair. Some of them, I couldn't tell if they were men or women. And I'd never seen anything quite like this. Back in Shreveport where Carol and I grew up, the hippies who thought they were hippies were wannabes. <laughs> this was the real birth of the hippies. <laughs> and boy, I saw things out there like I had never seen before. And uh, I'm standing on this dune, sand dune, looking um, over the crowd there. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? What in the world could I possibly say that would connect me with anybody here? I don't look like them. I don't know one drug from another. I was into speed, but not the drug. Fast cars, fast motorcycles. If I'd have talked speed, we'd have been talking about two different things. Okay. And I didn't know how in the world I'd be able to communicate with them. What can I say that would have an impact on these lives? And finally, the Lord said, it's not your knowledge of drugs that will change their lives. It's your knowledge of me. Don't be concerned about your lack of knowledge with this culture. You talk about me. And so I began sharing, you know, uh, my testimony and so forth. And, and the first group of people that I began to share with, they were sitting in a circle. And uh, I just went and sat down in the circle with them. And in a little while, uh, they were having some kind of conversation. They asked me, anybody else would like to say anything? I raised my hand. I stood up and I began to share the Lord. Now I got laughed at, I got mocked, I got ridiculed. But the girl sitting next to me started crying. And I noticed the tears. And she confessed to me that she was a backslidden Pentecostal girl. And she got mixed up with the wrong crowd. And she said, my mom and dad don't even know where I am. They don't even know if I'm still alive. And she said, you bring conviction to me. Pray with me. I want to go home. You know. And that opened the door, praise God. Well, I saw things there in that, that week that we were there like I'd never seen before. I mean, infallible proofs, indisputable evidence of the presence of God. There was a hell's angel came up on, a, on, a, on his chopper motorcycle and Pismo Beach, you know, that, that highway that, that goes right along parallel with the beach and uh, up there in the city, uh, there was an intersection and I had just led a guy to the Lord who was crawling down the beach on all fours. He was so stoned, he was out of his mind. And I led him to the Lord, got him delivered. And he got up and he said, I got to tell somebody what just happened to me. He has no formal training. He doesn't know any scripture. He just got born again and he just got set free. And the first people, person he saw was that hell's angel waiting for the light to change. And he got up and ran up there and straddled the front wheel of this hell's angel's motorcycle. And I thought, we're going to raise somebody from the dead here in a little bit. You know? And he pointed his finger at that guy and telling him about Jesus. And the guy's trying to shake him off and he's hollering at him and and, uh, and I'm standing there listening to this conversation. And in a little while, that guy led the hell's angel to the Lord. Amen. 
Not only that, but the hell's angel, he worked with us for the rest of the week, traveled with us, slept with us, stayed with us. And he too, every time he'd walk up to somebody and say, I want to tell you about something that's changed my life. Nobody gave him any lip. They listened to everything he said. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So there was evidence of the healing power of God. Indisputable. Amen. And then as I began to minister and I, I took these young people in our church out and teach them and we'd go out to the streets in our city. They wasn't anything like Los Angeles, but Shreveport, you know, Louisiana. Uh, we're ministering to drug addicts and prostitutes and alcoholics and so forth. And then we just invade different areas uh, of, of where there were young people gathered. And one of the places was a, a place called Caddo Lake. It had a state park there. And I'd take them out to Caddo Lake to witness and uh, to share Christ. And I remember this one time, we were out there and uh, I had dispersed everyone and told them, you know, to go and share uh, Jesus with others. And I'm standing there and just observing, watching. And then every once in a while, some woman motioned for me to come and help them. And I'd go stand by them and guide them and so forth and, uh, you know, help them minister to these people. Some of them had never ministered and shared their faith one-on-one -on -one to a total stranger. So I'm helping them. And then these two young girls that were in the uh, young people's, uh, uh, or the youth department, they come running up to me and they said, Brother Jerry, we need help. This man is crying. His baby's dying. And so I went over to them uh, where, where they were. And there was a man in, the, in his automobile with his head leaned up against the steering wheel and he's crying. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, sir, is there something I can do for you? He said, my baby's dying. My baby's dying. And I said, well, where is your baby? He said, at home, just a few miles from here. He said, I had to get out uh, and get away because uh, I didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm trying to find help. I don't know how to find anybody to help us. And uh, I said, well, I can help you. Take me there. So we went to this man's house. And they, these people lived in extreme poverty. This house, I mean, it was on its last leg. It was almost leaning over and collapsing. The bed, the one bed they had in that room didn't even have a mattress. It was just those uh, the, uh, uh, springs. And they had a, a quilt laid on top with this baby laying on it. And uh, the mother's crying. And uh, I walked over and I said, do you mind if I pray for the baby? Now, the baby was not dead, but it was sure close. It already turned pink. And uh, uh, just on the, as close to death as you could possibly get. And I laid my hands on the baby and began to pray. And I saw right before my eyes, the color come back into that baby. And that baby opened its eyes and it began to cry. And the mother and dad took a, the baby in her arms and, uh, you know, and began to rejoice and so forth. And there was, it was obvious that God's healing power had touched that child. Now later, by invitation of Brother Copeland, we moved to Fort Worth and we began to work with Brother Copeland. And some years later, after that incident, I get a picture. I had told him, I'd give him my, my number and I 
told them to call me anytime they needed prayer for that child. And they called and I said, I'm in Fort Worth now and I gave them my address. And some years later, they send me a picture of this little girl starting school. And she was well, she was alive, she was vibrant, you know. There was indisputable evidence, hallelujah. Amen. Indisputable evidence. You know, I told the story and I probably, some of you probably heard it, but it's, it's so vivid in my mind. Joe and I were in Kenya one time, uh, many years ago. And there was a, a family in our crusade that came and said, uh, would you come and pray for our son? He's demon possessed. And so Joe and I went with them and we drove as far as we could go into the bush with a vehicle. Then we had to get out and walk the rest of the way. You couldn't even get a vehicle through there. And we walked the rest of the way. And when we got to this hut where they lived, there was a boy out in front chained to a tree. And he was growling like an animal. He was, he was demon possessed. And as we're walking up there, he saw us. And in this demonic voice, I know who you are. You came to cast me out. You can't cast me out. I've been here too long. Now, you know, the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you just want to say, uh, you're right, I'm out of here. <laughs> but no, that's not our assignment, you know. And so I said, Joe, pray in the spirit. So we just started praying in the spirit and we prayed in the spirit quite some time. I didn't begin to minister to him right away. I was wanting to get the direction of the Lord. And so in a little while, he spoke up again in this same voice. He said, I know the Bible better than you do. I can quote the Bible better than you can. And he started quoting the entire first chapter of, of the uh, Gospel of Luke. And then he said, can you do that? So I just ignored him and I just kept praying in the Spirit. Kept praying in the Spirit. Now his family's in the hut looking out. They, they don't even let him in the hut. They, they bring food in a pan like you're feeding a dog. And uh, so anyway, we prayed in the spirit and quite some time. And then finally the Lord told me what to do and I did it. And that boy got totally delivered, totally delivered. And just like in the Bible where Jesus ministered to that, that individual and said, uh, you know, take him in and feed him now. And they said, take him in the hut and feed him like a human being. And they took him in the hut. They were a little leery at first, but they took him into the hut and they fed him and then we left. Years later, years later, I get a picture of this same boy who's now in the University of Nairobi. Praise God. Amen. Indisputable evidence. Amen. Infallible proofs. Now that's what Jesus is expecting in all of our ministries. Amen. Somebody say, well, I'm not a healing evangelist. Well, looks like to me you're a believer. These signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. So we got to get these time restraints out of our thinking. Well, I can't do that because I got this sermon I got to preach and it's going to take me at least 45 minutes to an hour to get this sermon done. Well, maybe we need to shorten our sermons. Amen. Because our assignment is teach, preach, 
and heal. Now, if the healing part is missing, then we're not fulfilling our assignment. Not totally. Are you still here? So notice once again, convincing, the Amplified says, convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidences. Now, I want to bring to your attention something that's very important in Acts chapter 1. Go there with me. The very first verse. My pages are sticking together. Notice, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Notice that word began. Everybody say began. began. Jesus is not a retired preacher. <laughs> He's still preaching, but it's through you and me. This is what he began to do. If there is a beginning, there has to be an ending. Amen. And his ministry is not over. He's using you and me to continue his ministry in the earth today. This is what he began to do. Convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences, and infallible proofs is what Jesus began to do. And after he ascended to the Father, he instructed, no, really, he commanded his followers to continue to do the thing that he began to do. Amen? And what did he begin to do? He began to teach, to preach, and to heal. And he's commanded you and I, his followers, to do the same, to continue in this calling. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And he goes on to list those signs. One of them is, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen? Ask yourself right now, when is the last time I laid my hands on somebody? When's the last time you had a laying on of hands service? Now that's not the only way you can administer healing. I asked the Lord one time, I said, why am I not seeing the miracles today like I saw when I first started? He said, you took your hands off people. He said, I anointed your hands and you took them off of people. Well, whose fault is that that I'm not seeing the same kind of miracles that I saw in the beginning? Amen. So notice here, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Just one way to administer healing. But if you know, and I do, that God anointed your hands and you're not putting your hands on people, then whose fault is it that you're not seeing the miracles that you used to see? Amen. I really cannot remember because it didn't happen where God said, you don't have to lay hands on people anymore. I've never had him tell me that. Maybe you have, but I haven't. Amen. In fact, uh, back, uh, you know, almost two years ago when, when I had that stroke and I lost total use of my right arm. After God healed me and restored me to health, he said, I'm going to increase the anointing in the very hand that Satan tried to take from you. Amen. 
He said, get your hands on people. There's a stronger anointing in it now than when you first began. Hallelujah. And I've seen it, praise God. Amen. In fact, uh, the Lord told me, he said, every time you lay hands on people, you tell them when you put your right hand on them, they're to put their right hand on your heart. And you tell them the reason I'm telling them to do that is because my presence is there. And then you tell them after you lay hands on them, tell them to say out loud, I receive. I believe I receive. And I've seen lots of miracles take place since that time, hallelujah. Infallible proofs. Amen. So I believe I'll just continue to do what Jesus began to do. And you say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm to continue to do what Jesus began doing. Can you say amen? So Jesus began to teach, to preach, and to heal. And that's our commission today. So once again, it says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The word recover means to recuperate and to regain a former condition. To recuperate and to regain a former condition. As I said, when I experienced that stroke, I lost total use of my right arm, partial use of my right leg. And the worst part of all was total memory loss. I didn't know my wife. I didn't know my children. I, didn't, I couldn't remember one sermon I'd ever preached, one scripture I'd ever read. Total memory loss. The only word I could say in English was yes. But I never lost the ability during that whole process, never lost the ability to pray in tongues. I could pray in the Spirit. In fact, Brother Copeland came in and preached over me and stood over me and, and preached the word to me. And I don't remember one word he said, but my wife said the whole time he was there, I prayed in the Spirit. Thank God. Why? Because my brain's not connected to my spirit. Amen. I could pray in the Spirit. Amen. But I couldn't use my right arm. It was like dead weight. I'd have to hold it up against my chest and hold it there. If I let go, it'd just fall. I couldn't, I couldn't maneuver uh, with my right leg as well as with my left leg. But total memory loss. But I recovered it miraculously recovered. Amen. Total restoration. Got my arm back. Got my leg back. Got my memory back. Praise God. And within about three weeks, I was preaching all over the world and never missed a day. We were out almost a month. What, 22 days, Joe? 27 days, something like that. And preached all over the world. Never missed a service and hadn't let up since. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So notice here, to recover is to recuperate and to regain a former condition. When you agree that if you truly recuperate it, then that would be unquestionable evidence and proof. In fact, the doctor said, your recovery has been magical. Can you explain this? I said, yes, I can. <laughs> it wasn't magical. It was miraculous, hallelujah. Glory to God. God is not out of the healing business. God is still the miracle worker. Can you say amen? And people 
need to see the miraculous perhaps more today than ever since you and I have been in the ministry. Because we are in a world today that has been blinded by an adversary called the devil. Satan is doing everything he possibly can to shut the church down. Doing everything he possibly can to, to ridicule Christians. But I read the back of the book, we win, hallelujah. It's not over till it's over. If you can't quote a scripture from the Apostle Paul, quote one from Yogi Berra. It ain't over till it's over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So say with me, let your works, let your works be, seen be seen by your servants. Say, I'm one of your servants. One of your so let your works, let your works be, seen be seen by me. Amen. The religious people saw the miracles that were performed in Jesus' ministry. And they were amazed. They were astonished. They said, what manner of man is this? It's still the same way today when people see miracles, when they see things that they know could not happen in the natural. It had to take the miraculous power of God. They still stand in awe of that. The man at the gate called Beautiful that Peter and John ministered to through the power of the Holy Ghost. When they raised him up, Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, that simply means they didn't have any formal training, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now that's talking about they had physically been with Jesus, but I think there's a twofold application there. If we want to see more miracles and we want to see more uh, infallible proofs in our ministry, then it requires being with Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen. It requires being with Him, spending more time with Him. The message translation says, they recognize them as companions of Jesus. Are you one of Jesus' companions? A companion of Jesus is someone who keeps company with him on a continual basis, not just on Sunday. They're in constant fellowship and communion with him. Perhaps this is one of the major reasons why that many preachers today aren't seeing more infallible proofs simply because they don't socialize more with Jesus. They're spending too much time socializing on the iPhone and the iPad. Social media has taken over. Amen. What do you suppose would happen in our ministries if we spent as much time socializing with Jesus as we do that iPad and that iPhone? I get tickled sometimes sitting in restaurants and notice people with their iPhones, families don't even communicate anymore. They're doing the iPhone and sometimes they're sitting right across the table from each other and they can't even talk. Come on. It's good. iPhone's good. iPad's good. There's great qualities. Man, I, I love the fact that I can take a little iPod. I've had all of my Oral Roberts sermons, Kenneth Hagin sermons, John Osteen sermons, Kenneth Copeland sermons, 
T.L. Osborne sermons, I used to have to carry them around in a suitcase this big. I can fit them all in an iPod in my shirt pocket. And I can listen just as many of them as I want to between here and Nairobi. That's a long way. That's many hours of flying. Sometimes I forget that I'm on a commercial airline and I got those, you know, headset on and I'm listening to John Osteen and I get tickled at something he says. I start laughing out loud and something Brother Robert said and I start kicking the bulkhead. And the flight attendant comes along and says, you're not having anything else to drink. Something's already wrong with you. <laughs> or I just get excited and start shouting and praising God and forget that this is not my airplane. These, this is a commercial airline. You know. But that's wonderful. I love having that ability. I love that technology. But when it's consuming your time, where well, you can't go 15 minutes without checking about everything that's going on in the world and spend less time checking on what's happening in the kingdom? Did I go to meddling now? <laughs> then we wonder, why are we seeing more miracles? We're socializing, for the most part, with the wrong party. I'm preaching to myself as well. I'm a companion of Jesus. And if I'm a companion with Jesus, then I need to see to it that I spend more time with him. Amen. You know, uh, Carol and I were in Australia back in, I believe it was February or March of this year. And uh, I get up early in the mornings, go for a walk. And just, you know, my time to just... Uh, meditate on the word and fellowship with the Lord. And I'm walking back to our, our uh, place where we were staying. And the Lord said, next year, which would be 2019, next year will be your 50th year in the ministry. He said, and I want you to go back to your roots. He said, I want you to go back to where it all began. Well, I knew he was talking about with Kenneth Copeland. As I, I started out in ministry with Brother Copeland. I surrendered my life to the Lord as a result of Brother Copeland's ministry. And then when I moved to Fort Worth and began serving him, uh, I spent three years uh, traveling with him, serving him. And the Lord said, now, now of course, I've preached with him all these years. There, there hasn't been a year in all these 50 years that I haven't preached with him. But he said, I want you to go back to your roots. And I want you to call him when you get home and tell him, that in 2019, you're putting your ministry on hold and you're going to come and serve him and do whatever he needs you to do and go wherever he wants you to go. He said, and tell him you don't want an offering. Tell him you'll pay your own expenses. Tell him this is a seed you're sowing in your jubilee year. Amen. Amen. So when I got back home, I called Brother Copeland and I told him what the Lord had said and he could, I had to put the phone way out here because of him shouting and rejoicing over it. He said, I'm calling the, the uh, team right now and tell them and they'll be calling you. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm yours for the whole year, whatever you want me to do. Amen. And I've already sensed in my spirit because in those early days when we first started, we had some of the greatest miracles 
Brother Copeland had worked with Oral Roberts. And, and he learned to pray for the sick under Oral Roberts. And when I went to work with Brother Copeland, I'd never seen such boldness in all my life. I mean, I, I, I'd never seen anybody that was so bold in their approach to getting people set free and delivered. Carol and I were sitting in a service in Shreveport in Life Tabernacle where she grew up, the church I started attending. And uh, we're sitting there waiting to hear Brother Copeland preach. And when he got up to the, to the podium, back in those days, they had those lavalier mics on a cord and they were hooked to the sound system, you know, the amplifier. And he just walked so far before that cord, you know, took you back. And, and he's got that lavalier mic on and he walked up to the podium and the first thing he said was, where's Herb? Nobody answered. I said, where's Herb? Nobody answered. I thought, who's Herb? <laughs> where's Herb? And somebody raised their hand and said, he's at home. Brother Cobra said, I told you to have him here tonight in this service. Go get him. So they got up. There was a couple of guys got up, walked out the side door, and then Brother Cobra started preaching. About 45 minutes into his sermon, there was these two same men came in, and they're carrying a man cradled under their arms, or in their arms. They form like a, a, a cradle, and they're carrying this man in who was totally paralyzed from his shoulders down. My lightning fast mind said, that's Herb. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, I'm right on the end of my seat wanting to see what's going to happen next. When they brought Herb in, Brother Copeland took that microphone and pulled it off of his neck, you know, that cord off of his neck, and he run out there and he laid his hands on Herb, cast three devils out of him and took him by the hand like this and started running around the auditorium. Now this man was paralyzed from the shoulders. To, all he could move was his neck. And Brother Copeland grabbed him by the hand and took off and he's dragging Herb. Herb's not walking. Herb's not running. I thought, dear God, we're all going to jail, you know. <laughs> but in a little while, and I mean, he's dragging this guy. In a little while, the power of God come on Herb, and he took off running and outrun Brother Copeland before they got back to the front row. <laughs> Amen. Now, that'll keep you up all night just thinking about it. Now, when I went to work with him, things like that happened all the time. I saw things like that all the time. And I keep sensing in my spirit, I'm going back to my roots. And Brother Copeland and I next year are going to see some of the outdoingest miracles we have ever experienced, praise God. Amen. Now, of course, Brother Copeland said, if you think you're going with me and you're not preaching, you got another thought coming. So he's seen to it that I've got services to preach with him. I didn't, I said, I don't, I, that's not why I'm doing this. I don't have to preach. I'm just coming to support you. I'm coming to pray for you like I did when I first started with you. He said, yeah, and what happened after, I, after you got started with me? 
Well, you had me start preaching all the morning services. He said, well, you're going back to your roots. <laughs> Amen. So I can hardly wait, praise God. I can hardly wait. I believe God is going to do some outstanding things in those meetings. Hallelujah. God is not through healing people. God is not through doing the miraculous with people. And they need it more today than they ever have in our lives. This world needs to see infallible proofs. Just like Richard was talking about those Muslims who saw that boy healed. I was in Kuala Lumpur a few years ago. And I was preaching to about uh, 2,500 businessmen. And there was a Muslim, uh, I guess he was a Muslim priest or something. He, was over, he oversaw one of the mosques there in the city. And when I gave the invitation, he was the first one who came forward. He said, I want Jesus. Pray for me. So I prayed for him and I said, you know what this is going to cost you. He said, oh yes, I know. And then the next night he brought his whole family and they all got saved. Amen. 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 And then the healings began to take place and others started coming forward. There were more, the first time in my ministry, there were more Muslims got saved in that one meeting than I'd ever seen before. Amen. Why? Because they saw infallible proofs. Something that could not be denied. Hallelujah. And I believe that's where God wants to take us back to. Can you say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, make room for the Holy Ghost. Once again, perhaps this is one of the major reasons why many preachers today aren't seeing more infallible proofs in their ministry. You can't expect to see more miracles in your ministry if you're not spending quality time with the Lord. Programs will never take the place of God's power. There are more programs being sought after than the power of God. Programs have their place but they'll never take the place of God's power. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. That power was never to be replaced by some program. David once said in Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2, if you'd like to turn there with me. Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2. Everywhere Joe and I go, Tony goes with me uh, many times. Uh, we say before we go into every service, Lord, show us your glory tonight. Lord, show us your glory. Manifest your presence, your power and your goodness. And he has not denied us. Hallelujah. Verse 1 and 2 says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Notice this is making a reference to the power and the glory that he's seen 
in the sanctuary. But he wants to see it again. In other words, he's not satisfied. He's hungry for more. How many of you are hungry for more? He said, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Like, like being in a land where there is no water. To see your power and to see your glory as I once had. I believe that probably every one of us can say we have seen the power of God. We've seen the glory of God at one time in our ministries. But how many of you want to see it again? God's power, God's glory, implying that he had seen it before. And once again, it's probably true that we've all seen it, but I'm hungry for it more so today than I ever have been in my life. I started out almost 50 years ago seeing his power and his glory, and I've seen it time and time again throughout those 50 years, but not like what I'm hungry for. I want to see it again, and I want to see it in a greater way. To, very, to be very truthful with you, and you may be able to say the same thing. The only time I haven't seen it is when I wasn't hungry enough for it. When I just became satisfied. Amen? Because the Bible says, if you hunger and thirst, you shall be filled. Another translation says, you will not be denied. The only time in my life that I haven't seen it was simply because I wasn't hungry enough for it. But you're looking at one hungry man. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm one hungry person. Amen. Perhaps we've just come upon a, a vital key as to why we're not seeing the power and his glory as he wants to show us. David goes on to say in verse 8, My soul followeth hard after thee. My soul followeth hard after thee. The Amplified Bible says, My whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. My whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. The word hard here implies with urgency, and it also implies with diligence. So he's saying, I, am, I sense an urgency, and I intend to be diligent about my pursuit, that I'm going to take hold of you, and I'm not going to allow myself to become satisfied with what I've already seen. Amen. I'm thankful for what I've already seen, but I want to see more. Amen. It's like the Apostle Paul saying in Philippians 3.14, I press, I press toward the high calling. How many of you are pressing today? Amen. The message translation says, and I'm not turning back. I've made a decision that I am going to see God's power in my ministry for the rest of my life and I'm not turning back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you feel the same way, lift your hands right now and just begin to thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. This should describe our pursuit of the power and the glory. And if not, then you need a good stirring up. 
And just know this, God's not going to do the stirring for you. You have to stir yourself up. Isaiah 64, 7 says, And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. So notice who's doing the stirring? There's none that stirreth up himself. You have to take responsibility for that. You can hear great sermons and get inspired, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll stir yourself up. I was in a, a meeting in Arkansas with Happy Caldwell years ago, and it was actually my 30-year anniversary, and Happy had planned a surprise uh, anniversary party there, and uh, I thought he'd invited me to preach, and turned out he'd arranged for all these people to be there, friends and co-laborers in the Lord to be there uh, to celebrate my 30 years. And uh, Brother Copeland and Gloria were in the audience, as well as a number of other ministers from all over the country. And uh, when he got through with the presentation, all he said, well, Brother Jerry, you came to preach, so preach to us. So my message that night that I was going to uh, preach anyway was stir yourself up. And so I started preaching on that. And I read Isaiah 64, 7. And uh, Brother Copeland told me after the service, he said, when I walked in that meeting, he said, I'll be honest with you. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't have come. He said, I wanted to honor you. But he said, I felt like a dog. He said, I was tired. I was worn out. I'd been traveling. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to get out of bed. I wanted to stay home. And the only reason I came is to honor you. He said, and when you started preaching on stir yourself up, and he said, you had us confess, I'm stirred. He said, and you told us all to shout, I'm stirred. He said, I said, I'm stirred. <laughs> he said, with about that much enthusiasm. I said, turn and tell somebody next to you, I'm stirred. He said, I turned to glory and he said, I'm stirred. <laughs> he said, but you wouldn't quit. You just kept on, kept on, kept on telling us to say I'm stirred. And the more you told us to do it, the more stirred I got. And he said, boy, you set me on fire tonight. I'm stirred up, hallelujah. And if I'd have given him the mic, he'd have took off preaching. Amen. You got to stir yourself up. Amen. I can't stir you up. I can preach messages that will inspire you. You can preach messages that will inspire others. But if you ever get stirred up, you're going to have to do it yourself. Amen. There's none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself. The message translation says it this way, makes the effort to reach out to you. That makes the effort to reach out to you. James tells us in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. The message translation says, get serious, really serious. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, get serious, really serious. Maybe I ought to go back to that stirred up part and have you to do what Brother Copeland was doing that night. Look at somebody and say, I'm stirred. <laughs> Look at somebody else say, I'm really stirred. I'm really stirred. And they'll tell somebody, and this is the way I act when I'm really stirred. This is the way I act. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Amen. Get serious. Really serious. How many of you are serious about wanting to see the power of God? Not just occasionally, but every time you come to the platform. Every time you stand behind that podium, praise God. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So my challenge to you today is stir yourselves up. Keep yourselves stirred. Stay in fellowship with the miracle worker. Hallelujah. Amen. amen. Say continually, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory in this service today. Show me your glory in the service tonight. Show me your glory. Every time you go into a service, Lord, show me your glory. We've got to where, as I said, that's the first thing that comes out of our mouth. When we come out of the hotel room, heading for the car to go to a meeting, Lord, show us your glory tonight. Show us your glory tonight. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Earlier, uh, or last week actually, I had the privilege of fulfilling a dream that I'd had for quite some time, and that was to go to Cuba. And uh, I'd had invitations over the years to go, but I never felt like it was the right connection. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time to waste. And, and I want to make sure that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do and in the place where he wants me to be and with the people that he wants me to be with. And so, uh, not that these people were, were bad or anything like that, but it just, I, I just never felt like it was the right connection. And back earlier this year, I was in New York City preaching with Dan and Ann Stratner in their church. And uh, I've known Dan and Ann for a long time, and they had a, a, a pastor and his wife in the meeting that had come from Cuba. And they wanted to meet me. And so we had a, a meeting after the service that night and, and I was really, really impressed of the Lord that this is the connection I've been waiting for. Anybody ever sense that where I knew that I knew this is the connection I've been waiting for? And so I told them and they, they told me some things about what God was having them to do and, and their vision and so forth and I was impressed with that. And so the first thing I did, they, they needed to acquire some land and some permits and so forth. And the first thing I did was I sowed $10,000 into their ministry to help them do this. And, uh, uh, and then I told them before I left, I said, and I will come to your nation this year. And they were ecstatic. And so as time went on, we, we uh, set the date and it was last week. And uh, Tony and Joe and John Ben Dixon, South Africa, we all went over there along with Dan and Ann. And I'm telling you, it was a divine appointment. The, the, the oppression is still heavy there from communism. And the poverty. And I was overwhelmed by the commitment that these pastors have made. These pastors actually were given the opportunity to move to Miami, and they did. 
They were, they were given or provided for a home, a good job, making good money, a car. And after a short time of being in Miami, they felt like that that was not where God wanted to be. And they went back to Cuba to conditions that you wouldn't believe because they had a heart for the people. And they, they left that and went back to Cuba and to see where they live. In fact, the, the hurricane that hit there in that area last year, it ripped off the roof of their house. They're having to redo uh, uh, the house and, and uh, uh, they acquiring land to, to build ministry facilities on and so forth. And their associate pastor and his wife and their little daughter, they live in what looks like to be a gypsy trailer. It's just a, it's just a little, uh, it, it's like we would use for a storage building that you'd put in your backyard. And it's sitting on wheels. And they live in that, the three of them on the property where they're planning to build the, the facilities. And I was overwhelmed. In fact, I was ashamed. I'd go back to my room just in tears, seeing the dedication and, and the joy that these people had. That little girl, she was, she was on the praise team. She danced before the Lord. She sang she, she was radiant with the glory of God. You would never know that she didn't live in a mansion somewhere. She was not feeling, you know, neglected because of the condition she lives in. She was so happy to know Jesus. Her mom and dad were that way. Her mom had been a registered nurse and gave that position up to, to, to be on the ministry team. Physicians in Cuba make about $30 a month. The church that we were in that sponsored the meetings, they, they rented a, a facility for us to do the meetings in, but on Sunday we were at their church. The average offering for a Sunday every week is $10. That's the average offering, $10. Can you imagine that? And we're complaining because we don't have this and we don't have that. You know, I'd love to have a new building. I would love to have a new building. We talk about a new building. We got 80 acres here that's paid for, been paid for ever since we bought it. I don't like the way it looks out front. There's somewhat of a poverty spirit in this community. And I'm thinking, God, why'd you place me here? I preach prosperity. He said, duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> you know. And we've done a lot of improvements around here. But I was driving up here this morning and seeing all the trash on the side of the road. How many times have we had the young people walking the streets here and collecting all the trash and debris? There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people in this area 
without a brain. <laughs> and they know our slogan is, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> and they just keep messing. <laughs> Throwing all their junk out. We can clean this road up out here, and in three days, it looks like we hadn't even touched it. <laughs> you ought to see the filth that we had to walk through to get to the church. And they were happy to have a place to meet. <laughs> I felt ashamed, I really did, of, of my actions, my, the way I feel about this place. You know, I, I, want, I want the best. They were, they were happy to have a place to meet at at all. We, we put together, we didn't have time to perfect it because we just got home. But I, I want you to just see a little short clip of, of some of this in uh, Cuba. So can you show that, guys?
sigue tocando la puerta y el diablo va a rendirse amén Dixon, come up here for one moment. I want you to just share a little about your perspective on that trip. John's over all of our Africa outreaches from South Africa. Give him a good warm welcome. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, for me, it was one of the greatest privileges and honors of my life. Just being there with Brother Jerry, you know, <clears throat> When I heard that the apostle of God, and that is a term that is used very loosely and very lightly, but when the apostle of God goes into a new nation and God has ordained it and taken care of it, then he's prepared the soil, he's prepared the ground, he's prepared the people for something wonderful, some, uh, a mighty move of God. And for me to say the depth of the touch that God touched in my heart is almost impossible. I say like Brother Jerry, oftentimes, even now, you know, uh, just their simplicity in the way that they hunger from God, it causes you to weep. Because we take it so for granted how much we have and how much of the word we have. I come from Africa and a lot of the conditions that I touch in Africa are similar conditions. But when the word of God comes through in the right time, in the right place, but through the right vessels, then there is something special that God does. Yeah. And it's something you can't almost put words to. It's just, there's an anointing of God there. There's a move of God there. And thank you, Brother Jerry. And thank you to all of you guys who make it possible that Brother Jerry can go. It's just, it's a mighty thing that God is doing. And I believe it's the beginning of many other things that's going to happen to Brother Jerry, yeah. that's going to happen to all of us. If we'll take hold of this momentum, if we'll take hold of what's happening here and take it away with us, there's, a, there's something God is doing new, something powerful. It's something that God is just beginning to change and shift and do things. Let Him, let him touch your heart and let God do something mighty in you. Amen. Thank you. Give that to justice. Hallelujah. 
I want to read something to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 5. From the message translation, for the sake of time, I won't read it for the King James. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. That's the scripture that I kept reading while I was in Cuba. They'd been pushed to the limit. The trials exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy. You could see in that video how happy they were. You'd tell them, shout, and they, you'd almost have to tell them, stop now. Amen. And living under those conditions, and yet expressing that true joy and happiness, even though they were desperately poor, the pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there. I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely on their own. The idea caught us totally off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves to God and then to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. At the end of the uh, meeting on Sunday, after I got through preaching, they received an offering for me. I didn't want an offering. I didn't go for an offering. Uh, paid our own way. And yet they wanted to receive an offering for me. I taught them faith. I never, I never mentioned offerings during the course of my messages. And uh, they received an offering. Now, the pastor told me later that afternoon when he gave me the offering, and I'd already been told earlier that they were giving, their church receives approximately $10 a week in their offerings. The offering they received from me was over $500. They said that was unheard of. That had never happened. They didn't know of another church in Cuba that had received on a Sunday morning an offering like that. And of course, when they gave it to me, I said, now is it my offering? They said, yes. Then I can do what I want to with it. <laughs> yes. I said, well, now I'm going to teach you something about the twice sown seed. <laughs> so I sowed it back into the church. Amen. They were overwhelmed by it. But these people, that's right out of the book of Corinthians. Talking about what we just read here, these people have been in desperation, living on little to nothing, and yet they pleaded to give an offering, and they gave the best that they had, and normally a $10 offering turned into a $500 offering. That was unheard of. Amen. And I was just overwhelmed by it. But as I said, I sowed it back into the, the church, so I explained to the pastor, not only will the people receive a harvest, but our ministry will receive a harvest as well. 
So everybody gets a harvest out of this, praise God. Amen. So these words that I just read to you from Paul's writings to the church in Corinth, these words truly describe what we witness in the Christians attending the conference last week in Cuba. As I said, the normal offering, $10 a week, but that offering was over $500. And uh, I sold it back into the church and we're believing God that this church is going to prosper and that their prosperity is going to become a tremendous lighthouse. Make that church a tremendous lighthouse to that region, praise God. And I made commitments to them as well about some things I wanted to do to help them in that land and building that building and so forth. And uh, uh, we intend to do that, follow up on it. Paul said in verse 7, Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. And the grace he was talking about was the grace of giving. The message translation says, do your best in this also. The Amplified Bible says, come to the front and abound and excel in this gracious gift of giving. So I want to challenge you this morning. And normally we may receive one offering in this conference. Sometimes we've gone and haven't received any. But because of this being very close to my heart and knowing that many of you are in building programs and knowing that many of you are believing God for uh, greater finances in your own ministry, I can think of no better place to sow your seed right now. So we've made some commitments to them for several thousands of dollars and that's just the beginning. And uh, so I want to give you an opportunity this morning to sow into this and whatever comes in we will send every dime of it to that work in Cuba we won't hold out anything we'll send every dime of it to that work in Cuba and uh, I promised them that I'll come back and uh, perhaps we'll uh, let you know about it some have already said I want to go to Cuba with you when you go back so uh, that door is open as well and it will be an opportunity of a lifetime we, we made history there this week In fact, they took us into Santa Clara, uh, the town that we landed in, and then we drove out uh, out on the outskirts of the city to do the meeting. But the last day, we came back into Santa Clara, and we were just observing the city. And we had the opportunity to go into a facility, a place where they do operas and uh, uh, shows and so forth. When I walked in that place, I saw myself preaching there. It's a beautiful, old, built in the late 1800s, wasn't it? Beautiful old theater. Uh, What was it, three levels high? Three levels high, you know. And uh, when I walked in there, I saw myself preaching in that place. And they're saying, between now and they believe in less than five years, places like that will be open to preach the gospel in. Amen. So I've already, I took a picture of myself in there. I'm already seeing myself preaching that place. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you uh, are, are, would like to sow this morning, 
um, just make the check out to Jerry Savelle Ministries, JSMI, and uh, we will see to it that this offering will go to Cuba and help in the work there. And I'm telling you, these are some of the most committed people I've ever met in my life. Amen. All right, ushers, if you'll come forward and let's prepare to receive that offering. Hallelujah. Oh, Bill, they got a lot of motorcycles there. We may even start a church life chapter in Cuba. Hallelujah. They got Russian motorcycles. They got stuff I don't even know what it was. And they got stuff that needs a lot of work. <laughs> but they're riding motorcycles. Amen. All right, are you ready to sow? Praise God. All right, let me pray over your offering. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we sow our seed this morning, we're believing for the kind of harvest that you promise when we're willing to give for Jesus' sake and the gospels. And you said a hundredfold in this lifetime. Lord, that would be miraculous. And when it happens, not if, but when it happens, that would also create infallible evidence that would validate your word. And I'm thanking you in advance for doing that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to sow into those precious people in Cuba that love you so much and now we can help them live better lives, experience better things, experience better facilities. But most of all, Lord, help them get your word so that they too can become teachers of your word and those who teach your word, you will cause signs and wonders to accompany them. In Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. All right, are you ready to sow this morning? Yes, okay, gentlemen, go ahead and pass the offering containers. Uh, Justin, would you come up and make the announcements here that what follows now and... Uh, then we'll come back this afternoon. Yes, sir. Um, if you also, if you do text to give, and you, you'd prefer to do it that way, you can text the number 84321. Once again, that's 84321. And you put your amount, and you just put missions next to it. And we'll make sure if you, some people like to prefer to do text to give. So that number is 84321. Amen. Thank you, Father. Just for announcements, uh, we have lunch provided next door. Uh, so in an orderly fashion, just go next door, and there's the, there's the, there'll be a couple lines, and you make your way into our, our, our youth facility over there. Uh, also, uh, don't forget, if you got your packet when you came in, it has a renewal form in there, but if you to do it all digital, if you just go to heritageoffaith.com backslash HFMA, you can, re you can renew there. And also, just, for your, just keep note of that, save that, because we don't advertise our ministerial association to the public. This is, a, this is all about relationship, okay? So, so that's why you need to do that backslash HFMA, because there you can go back and listen to all the messages here. Any communication happens through, through the website there. 
Also, uh, tonight, a lot of times we would have dinner afterwards the, after the evening service, and we heard some, some people, it's just too much to eat after, after the service and, and different things. So, so we will have refreshments, and there will be desserts after the service tonight. So there will be like some finger things as well as, well as pie. You like pie? If you've been in, there's a place in Burleson called Our Place, and they make some, they have like a nutter butter pie. And so I'm telling you, we got some amazing pie, you know, after, so after the night service, I mean, you know, you can get feet, we're going to have an awesome time this afternoon with Pastor Blunt, awesome time tonight with Dr. Roberts, and after that, we have pie. So, you know, I like some pie, you know, so, so anyway, but, uh, but everyone stand to your feet and you receive this word today. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the word that we heard, and we receive it with open hearts. And I thank you that, that uh, an impartation took place, and we receive that impartation of hunger. We receive that impartation of faith. We re- receive that impartation to pursue. And Father, I thank you for the time we have together as ministers, and I thank you for relationships to being built during our lunchtime, our time of fellowship, and, and I just thank you, Lord, that all of us are being raised up to another level, that if anyone came in here today discouraged, Lord, throughout these two days, I thank you that you're, gonna, you're lifting them up. You're lifting them up in every area of their life, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next door. Also, don't forget about the bookstore and Dr. Savelle's materials in there as well.